afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the PGA DFS First Look Show for the Tour Championship. As the PGA Tour winds down their season, in reality, Jeff, I mean, it's not really a season, right? I mean, we're playing golf after all. There's only 30 guys for us to talk about. So we'll have a chat about some other things. I've got some U.S. Open notes this week. But before we get into all that, Jeff, how was your week last week? Were you able to find any John Rahm? Because I'll be honest with you, when we go over our DFS review segment, I don't know what I could have done differently. Except for maybe not playing Cameron Jam, of course. Yeah, I mean, I didn't play quite my regular volume last week because, uh, you know, the reduced fields, I often do that. But um, my, 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 my John Rom lineup was was just littered with terrible players. So <laughs> even though uh, I think it snuck into a min-cash after, um, after he won the playoff, but, like, it was uh, it was so ugly, it didn't even matter. So even my John Rom exposure – got um got like didn't didn't really get me anything um it didn't really matter uh, i did have some players really bring me back on sunday though like it was looking like a complete wipeout for me um even like early on sunday and then Finau went fire um cam smith got himself into a, a top 20 position and, and one top aussie for me um shout out to adam scott four over par in his last four holes uh, to let Smith win that outright. That was that was like a, a basically just changed my betting week. And uh, the Fino top five was amazing too. Um, and uh, there might have been a couple other dudes in there. Like Berger having a pretty good uh, Sunday helped. So it just got – it just went from like going from a zero to being like basically a break-even week for me, which was really nice. Uh, no complaints there. But, yeah, you know, I just – not enough John Rahm uh, or DJ really, again, uh, was, was more on like – Rory, Xander, Berger, that range. And, I mean, none of those guys – I mean, Rory, Rory looked like he was going to pay off there for a bit, but um, none of those guys ended up as, as like, the top three. So, Yep. Um, I was uh, kind of similar, I, I guess, it, it, in a way. And I'll tell you the one place, though, and I like I said, I, I struggled on, on uh, draft games. We'll go over my lineup there. A little bit better on Fandle, but not much. But on Super Draft, I went three for four in my cash in the lineups, and it was because I was able to – uh, pick whoever I want. And that's the thing about the format over there, the sponsor of the show, Super Draft. And if you haven't heard about the multiplier uh, type of gameplay, it allows you to just pick any players you want to build your very own dream team. So last week I was able to get in Colin Morikawa with John Rahm because we're able to pick anybody up top as well. And the nice thing about that was Colin Morikawa shot about four under over the weekend. So um, if you haven't tried out the multipliers, so go on and give it a try today by in deposit. With your first deposit, you're going to get $10 free. And with your first deposit of 100 or more, you're going to get 20 total free. Check out Superdraft on superdraft.io or in the App Store. No limits and more winning with Superdraft. So maybe I should play a little bit more over there. That's what it seems like, Jeff. But we're going to go into Rom. And my question to you is, when, not if, will he win his first major? He won the two toughest tournaments of the year by stroke average. Now we go into major season. Is he going to get one of these next six or seven? Yeah. So, I mean, Wingfoot really does feel like the spot to me. Um, but it, the thing is, when, when it really does feel like when players get built up like this, and it was kind of like this with him last time at this year too, going into the Open and even the U.S. Open, man. I mean, we're the same spot with John Rom. You know, this is it. This is the spot. He's he's firing. He's in contention every week. He's winning tournaments now. I think it's a little bit different this year because the tournaments he's won this year, the Memorial, the BMW, those aren't like Euro Tour events. These are like legitimate major championship courses, right? So I agree. There's there's difference between last year and this year. But, you know, I'm just pointing out 
It is. It's tough to win majors, Matt. No matter who you are, the most elite player in the world. I mean, look at Rory. I mean, guy's been number one a bunch over the last six years. He's got zero majors. So, um, yeah, it's probably coming. Um, I, I, I'm not going to be one of those people who'd be like, oh, yeah, he's winning a major like in the next uh, year, though, for sure. Stamp it. Um, it's just it's just so hard for for these top players. It's so competitive right now. So U.S. Open looks like a great spot for John Rahm, though. It really does. Um, of all the top players right now, absolutely, that is the player I would be putting all my money on, you know, if you, if you force me to ask right now, um, like the top eight players. But, um, again, I'm not going to sit here and say he doesn't get it. I'm not going to, like, lambaste him if he doesn't get it done. He's still a young guy. Uh, but, uh, like I said, so competitive. But it really does feel like, you know, these next six coming up, Jason, I agree. Like U.S. Open, I think is, is probably the best spot, uh, and, and maybe one of those Masters too. Yeah, what's most impressed me is when we saw him win before. We saw the Farmers Open there at Torrey Pines. That's kind of a, a U.S. Open course, obviously hosting yeah. players as well. We saw him win the Irish Open a couple of years in a row, where it was kind of harder, you know, play kind of gritty tracks that he ended up dominating on. Of course, a couple of other wins. These last two, though, winning, you know, against good fields. It was the type of golf course that I was just impressed with him to be able to stay through all of the hardness of it. I mean, you could tell some people just totally gave up over the weekend, did not try and care. He entered the weekend, what, at six over, I think he was, and and ended up winning the golf tournament. So just really incredible. I I do think the win is coming. U.S. Open seems like a great spot. Just about about Ron, too, before we move on. Like, I'm way more impressed with Ron this year than I have been. Like, I, I was always one of those guys, well, his temper is just never going to let him yep. fulfill his, his true potential. And I really feel like that that's not the case anymore. Like, the, the dude is, like you said, I mean, coming back from six over, um, keeping his head straight at Memorial with, like, a two-stroke penalty and all that junk. Like, it's uh, – it, yeah, I, I'm just really impressed with him, man. Like, I, I before I would have – been you know one of those guys i could see him having like a sergio career where he just gets really close gets frustrated doesn't happen now i definitely think it's going to happen um super super impressed with him like over this last year i, I think I, th- I do think it's coming i know i was trying to be you know lukewarm about it at the start but i, I definitely think it's coming no i i, I do too and uh, as we move on dustin johnson uh, i want to talk about a putter change really quickly and um I know uh, our guy Jordan behind the glass. He'll he'll definitely know this. He's he's a golfer uh, as well. And and Jeff, I think I think you are at least a, a little bit there trying to get out there. We're all weird in our routines, right? Whether it's um, you know, pre-shot or you know whatever it is. And one thing I noticed at TBC Boston that Dustin Johnson was doing was he was taking his his left hand and holding his right bicep when he would address the ball with his putter. He would be at address and doing this and. Whatever it does, whatever the reason, whether it's steady that right arm through impact or just make that motion of, hey, listen, keep that nice and still and steady, it's worked. I mean, he's putted incredibly. Again, he didn't really lose this golf tournament. John Rahm played really well. Anybody else in Dustin Johnson wins. So what do you make of this little putting change? And, of course, don't get me wrong, Dustin Johnson changes putters more than I do. And I've got a collection of Scotties in the garage, you know that I can go to, you know, 10 rounds and play 10 different ones. It looks like Dustin Johnson's doing that, but now he's kind of settled in. He's got the spider and he's got that little arm lock thing going on. It's uh, it's pretty great. I think he's using the spider. No, maybe it's not the spider actually. It's um, it's a more mallet based spider though. I think. I'm yeah. Honest. I thought it was a spider, but either way, it's, it's that one that he he's had success with in the past. Yep. I know uh, his brother was talking about it. Like they put it back in the bag and, and I think his brother said it was his caddy obviously said, you know, I'm not letting him take it out again. Um, so, but you're right. I mean, it does look like he changes address. 
I, I was definitely looking at Dustin Johnson's putting stats, um, you know, today because I, I, I mean, he's just putted so well over the last three events. It's awesome. You know, starting at the PGA. I mean, just insanely well. So he has had stretches though in his career where he has putted like really, really well. So I know he sometimes gets a bad rap. I think people, especially me too, I remember the, the Chambers Bay where he just like three putted and, and he just, you know, throws it away. And, he, and he has those moments still where he can just muck it up. But the dude is a pretty good putter. Like he, he has really good, like just kind of uh ceiling weeks. He's gained three or strokes more um, uh, strokes game putting now in, in three straight events. Um, and when he, he gets going with that, he's going to be tough to beat. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And that's kind of the point of it. Like when he, um, you know, when, when a player like Dustin Johnson can add that kind of weapon, I mean, it's, it, it's pretty insane. It, it's, it's kind of the same thing we saw from Brooks who, who had some just monster putting weeks last year too. So, um, you know, he, he is streaky with it though. Like, and we are changing surfaces this week. I mean, I'm just going to point that out off the bat, yep. a switch to Bermuda. I don't know if that'll, that'll slow him down at all, but um, you know, he's definitely going through one of these like episodes where he's just super confident with that club. And again, you know, just looking through his stats, you, you can see that he has done this kind of stuff before. So um, a better putter than he gets credit for. Um, he just, uh, he's, and he has more come become more consistent throughout his career. So um, shocking in a way because he's so good at, at the other stuff too, but also, you know, it, it's kind of been a feature of his game for the last three years now. So. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, I love the consistency. I, whatever this little pre-shot routine is helping him do, Joaquin Neiman is actually starting to do it as well. Uh, just interesting. And he putted better this week and his ball striking stats had been there. So maybe there's something there. Yeah, you, if you follow me around my next 18 holes, I'm going to probably be doing it for, for goodness <laughs> sakes. Um, but let's move on to some other highlights and some U.S. Open news. Uh, of course, we're going to play the Tour Championship this week. We have the Safeway Open out in, the, um, out in Napa Valley there next week. That's not a three tournament course, is it? That's the Desert Classic. Napa's just at one, right? The yeah, Silverado. Just one, yeah. yeah one. Um, okay. Yep. I can't remember which one. Uh, Silverado. Yeah, Silverado. I think it's Silverado. I think there, it's still yeah. Silverado. Yeah. And then, of course, we got the U.S. Open at at Wingfoot the week after. So I wanted to make some few notes about there as well. First one I want to talk to you about though, you, my native a Canadian here, Mac Hughes and Corey Connors. If you could only get one into the Tour Championship, who would you have picked? pre-tournament i just want to see if it ended up going the way you would have liked it uh, i probably would have gone for mac hughes i just feel like he's been uh he's kind of really made a, a push over the last uh, since the restart and i mean that the guy is he's not like what you call the the most legitimate ball striker but he's he's just a really good grinder i call him canadian speak man i mean yeah he is um, though. you know and, and he displayed it on that last hole i mean he made a quite frankly a a pretty uh pretty bad like kind of like a little wipe approach or whatever you want to call it i guess and uh he just got up and down from a really hard bunker spot, made the, made like a five footer. I mean, that's, that's kind of his game. So just, you know, gritty, I guess, if you want to throw out that word, but um, I really felt like he deserved it. Um, yeah. And, and like we were talking, Jason, before, I didn't know what happened to Corey Connors, um, but maybe like you, you, you should tell me, cause I don't, I didn't even see it. So. Yeah. So Corey Connors, um, the way, the way it was introduced to us was Billy Horschel was on giving an interview about how he was probably going to be the last man out. And Connor steps up in as a putt for, I believe it was par. Yeah, it was par on 18 from five feet. And it's Corey Connors. So, all right, the camera starts on him. He three jacks it. And as Horsell giving the interview is pushed into the tour championship because of the drop from Corey Connors. Mackenzie Hughes also gets in um, in front of Billy Horschel there because of that putt on 18. 
So you have Connors three jacks it from five feet to miss. And uh, Billy Horschel said he'd be sending Corey Connors a big bottle of wine <laughs> coming up for, for letting him do that crazy one there. Um, all right, let's move on to just a, a couple of quick U.S. Open notes that happened from last week. The Corn Ferry Tour wrapped up their three-week stretch of uh, tournaments that considered their like uh, their Corn Ferry Tour final series or what it would be in normal years. So the top five on that one actually got into the U.S. Open, and one of those guys happened to be Brandon Wu, who grew up right next to the golf course. So I just thought that was an interesting note. A couple of other guys uh, solidified it. Will Zalatoris, Davis Riley, both playing really well on the Corn Ferry Tour. And the other one I want to talk to you about was this 19, 20-year-old stud from, I think it's Denmark, is Rasmus Hodgegaard. This guy is absolutely insane right now. He just picked up another win. He also gets into the U.S. Open via a qualifying. You had to be in the top 10 on the U.K. swing. So before his win, he had four top 10s on that U.K. swing. So this guy is playing lights out. Is there, if he is pretty cheap at the U.S. Open, are you going to just go ahead and blindly roster this guy, even though we've never really seen him or heard of him? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it, it's tempting, isn't it? And and I know there's going to be people out there who do it. Yep. Um, I the generally, top guy in the European field last week. 11-1. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if we'll get that kind of pricing on him just because he's so far up there now, and, and especially in world golf rankings, that, that could drive his price up a bit. Yep. Um, I generally try and stay away from those players at the U.S. Open. I, I, it's nothing about the talent. I know who this guy is. I, I know how well he's been playing. Um, it, it's just, it, it's just such a different beast coming over to a major. Um, it, it all breaks down where, where his price is. I mean, if he's priced with guys like, you know, in, in the low six K range, uh, absolutely. I'll, I'll probably end up doing it, but if he gets in like the seven K range and you got to pick against him with, with, uh, you know, a, a little bit more veteran players or, or just players who, who have been playing well in the PGA and maybe just priced down because it's a major then, then I'm probably leaning against it. I just, uh, again, um, shout out to the talent. It's, it's just a big, big difference uh, coming in from just playing Euro Tour courses to just being thrown into something like Wingfoot. So, <laughs> yeah, right. I, just thrown in right, at, right yeah. into Wingfoot here. You can probably handle it, but uh, I really feel like more times than not, those just these type of situations just end up like everyone gets excited about it. And then, you know, by the time uh, Friday afternoon comes and they're like six over for the day, it's like, okay. That was such a great idea. So I'll probably try and avoid it, but it all comes down to pricing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's go into our DFS review, um, where the first one or first little bit of this, I just give you kind of uh, uh, who the top points were and what the chalk did last week. Let me tell you, the chalk performed very well. It was probably why my results were not as good as they uh, could have been. Uh, first on the points, John Rahm, DJ, Matsuyama, Neiman, and Todd. Maybe Brendan Todd, the only surprise there. He came in with 74 points, but led the field with 18 birdies on the week, just putting insanely. Um, I mean, he's it's very reminiscent of what Speed did for so many years. It really is. Uh, Tony Finau, Matt Fitzpatrick again there, Jeff, showing up. Yet again, Jason Kokrak, Lanto Griffin, Brian Harmon, and Byung Hun on were the top points. And then we go into ownership. Daniel Berger was 16th. Uh, Victor Hovland, 38th, Colin Morikawa, 21st, Sanders Shuffley, 19th, Tony Finau, 6th, John Rahm, 1st, Hideki was 3rd, a couple of other higher-owned guys were in the top 10 as well. So, Jeff, when the chalk hits like this pretty good, you know, pretty much avoided all the bombs, it's going to be probably the cash line in first place, especially in an event like this, is going to be very close together. I think it was 50 points or something like that. Um, tough to do, tough to beat when it's like that, right? 
Yeah, for sure. And we, you saw a lot of those chalky guys um, kind of make moves, obviously, on, on on the weekend. I mean, Finau, Kokrak. I think um, I think those are those are kind of the key guys too, because you needed to use players like that to to fit in Rom and Dustin, right? So um, you could probably throw um, yeah Joel Damon in there as well, uh, Kisner. So I mean, uh, you know, like Berger and uh, and and like Morikawa didn't really have great weeks, but again. Um, you know, it, it, it's not like Rom and, and Dustin were so, so low owned that, uh, you know, you could just get, you know, unique, uh, or just fit them in on their own and be unique. But, um, yeah, those, those, that kind of middle tier of chalky guys definitely went off, which was a, a big thing. I mean, I'm trying to see if there's any busts. I mean, not really he, any huge ones other than, uh, the, the kind of just, just the, the players who you had to. The, the balanced approach really didn't work that well this week, I guess is kind of what I'm trying to say. Exactly. Yeah. Berger, Xander, which I think a lot of people did. I know I did. I think I even have a, a lineup that will show that that kind of did something like that. It really didn't work out. You had to go a little bit more boomer bust. And again, all these kind of chalky value plays did end up paying off, right? So that was the move this week. Uh, definitely worked out. There's a couple other like lower own plays that probably factored in that we'll talk about, but um yeah, the chalk definitely uh, had a pretty solid week for sure. Yeah, and a, a great segue into talking about the uh, the winning GPP lineup that won the most money last week. And like you said, it hit on that kind of chalky mid-range area as we pull it up on the screen. Tony Finau and Hideki Matsuyama, no surprise to see as a big part of this lineup. John Rahm here. So obviously the playoff won this guy about a half a million dollars. Um, I, I didn't do the math to see what he would have come if he had lost the 10 points because he – Obviously, uh, didn't have DJ in this lineup, so he loved the result of that putt from John Rahm and just a special, two special putts. The DJ putt that was almost in the exact same spot, backed up by the Rahm putt in, in overtime. I just love golf, and I tweeted that out last night. I mean, it was it was super compelling. Uh, but this lineup, sixty five percent total ownership, it used all of the salary. It only was a single entry. I mean, it's it, it was really great. Obviously, super unique with going Kokrak, Todd, and Griffin. The total ownership there of 14%, and then he mixed in the chalk that worked. So um, kept the ownership under 70%, even in a 70-man field. I mean, that's that's really the target there, Jeff. Are you surprised um, that a lineup like this won in such a short field, or you know, was it just the, the right thing of the chalk hitting and playing it with the, the low-owned guys that uh, had a heck of a Sunday? Well, at least Jason Kokrak did. No, I, I'm not actually that surprised. I mean, um, I, I do think that you, you look at the uh, – I'm not surprised that guys like Kokrak and, and Todd came through last week, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean, yep. I thought you were getting really good, especially here. Like, it doesn't even look like Kokrak was was that highly owned. Uh, no, 6.5%, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I actually thought he had bigger ownership attached to him in this tournament. But, again, just my memory failing me. But, like, uh, I mean, guys like Todd Griffin, I like Cam Smith for the similar reasons. I really felt like there was a lot of live players down there. So – Actually, my my lineups had similar ownerships this week. Like it was actually very similar. I just didn't. I had no Matsuyama, which basically ha, you know handcuffed me from winning. It started, like I said, I didn't have enough ROM. So um, Fino was a guy definitely paid off for me. Uh, Kokrak too. Uh, de- definitely didn't get to Todd and Griffin. So I mean, again, it was the similar build to what I I, I thought was was probably going to work because there was a, that these make your lineups way more unique, which again, yeah. in these big, um, in these big field tournaments, I, I really like doing. So um, similar to, to what I was doing, just uh, like on the wrong player pool, as far as, uh, as far as mainly just like the, the, the value pool at the bottom. So, you know, shout out. I, I, I like this one. I think it, uh, 
it made a lot of sense. I am surprised that uh, that someone won without DJ though. I, I really felt like yeah, I guess too. I guess Rom and DJ though. I shouldn't say that Rom and DJ were so hard to fit in. I know I had a couple or I had at least one Rom Rory lineup, and it was it was kind of hard to make. So um, yeah, uh, maybe I shouldn't say I'm shocked. No, it's a good point though. It, it was yeah. hard to make, and it's a perfect. It's a. It really is a, a perfect lead into talking about our lineups. And yeah. we'll start off with mine here because I did. I found it very hard to fit in DJ or Rom, and so I faded both of them. And that ended up not being my problem. I found my way to Matsuyama. My problem was is that I had both Cam Champ and Matt Kuchar in there. They both yeah. scored under forty points. You know, I, I slipped one of those guys to any of the ones that made in the top fifteen, and and I cashed. I think I was out of the cash by. 26 points or 27 points here. And even, you know, Scotty Scheffler couldn't make a putt at all until Sunday. Cantlay could do nothing on the weekend. Even Tiger was a bit of a disappointment. I'm not going to lie, but it was really champion Kuchar. I mean, they, they really, really let me down, yeah. but ownership, you know, was right around that 70%. If I do my math right, 24, 30, yep. Right around 74, 75%. So, you know, it, it is what it is when you play, especially when you play those guys. I will say Cam Champ and Matt Kuchar came up a little higher owned than I expected. This is the single entry. So 14 and 10% for guys that really weren't playing that well. Um, did that Was that hard for you to believe? Uh, a little bit because they, they were in there with Kokrak and Bubba, right? Um, yeah. And I don't think Bubba got any ownership. I know that I had a big decision. I, I had I suffered death by Cam Champ a little bit too. Did you? Yeah. Um, I, I had some Kokrak and Bubba exposure as well, but I think I ended up going a little bit heavier on Champ. Which, again, if I had gotten to just you know straight up Kokrak and, and Bubba and cut him out, and I, I was a little bit suspect of his chances on a tougher course. He he's just been so hit or miss. I know he's good at the PGA, and that's kind of what what led me to keeping him in there. But. Um, yeah, I, I am surprised he got up there. I, I think at this point, though, people just think about him in the same vein as like Morikawa and Wolf, especially after the PGA. So yep. that result was still fresh in their minds. Um, we'll see if this, you know, going forward kind of changes things a little bit and he, we, we can get him at like a little bit better ownership, maybe in a fall event or something. But um, I think I think the the conversation or just the sentiment on Cam Champ probably changing a little bit. I know he's gone through dips where people have just kind of forgot about him and then he pops up again and people are like, oh, yeah, he's really good. So. Um, yeah. Kind of, I guess uh, the sentiment got up higher here than it should have. And I'll, I'll probably lose some more money on him this week. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> what, he's actually, he was a big part of my MME pool as well. And when we shift over to yours, if I had just gone from Camp Champ to Camp Smith and from Tiger to Tony, I would have been fine. I'd have been well in the cash. This lineup here that you have uh, that we're seeing uh, one of your uh, couple of uh, lineups of the week that did pretty well. I'm pretty sure this was well in the cash, right? If I'm not mistaken, do a yeah. quick yeah. math. Um, two guys higher owned up top with the three mixed in at the bottom under own. I mean, this is the type of lineup that we saw win the half million maker uh, in terms of an ownership spread. So it hit your goals on that front. Yeah, exactly. That's, this is kind of what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I didn't give you guys a very good screenshot. I didn't even get the, the total points in there. But, um, yeah. I figured by adding it up in my head, I'll, I'll work on that. But anyways, um, yeah, it did, it did cash. Um, yeah, this is exactly what I was talking about. I mean, Bubba and, and Kokrak kind of coming in similar ownership and then guys like Cam Smith. And then, you know, Ben Ann was just a player. Again, I, I was just looking for one more lower owned player just to, because I knew Shoffley and Berger were going to be up there, right? And Finau ended up getting up there. This is the $25 tournament, this one, by the way, the the $500, uh, $500K to first tournament. So okay, yep. um, I was really focusing on just getting that lower end, uh, those lower end three guys, like uh, just with low sentiment, low ownership and, 
and kind of popped up for me. I know he had a, a really bad week, but um, you know, I, you look at his, his, his larger, you, if you look back and I always like to look back, especially players coming off bad miscuts and a streaky guy like Ann, his larger body of work over the last five events has actually been pretty good. So I really did feel like um, he's a guy who can just bounce back quickly, you know, a no cut event too for, for a guy like Ben. And I mean, points here are big for him. Money here is big for him. So um, it was, it was a pretty solid uh, pick there. Again, Cam Smith is a guy who's kind of on all week. He, he's coming off his too, best yeah. approach week in a while. He's been playing better golf. I like him again this week. Uh, I think the course will set up a bit better. And and Bubba was close, man. Bubba was really frustrating to watch all week. I'm um, not sure if he led the field in approaches, but, man, his approaches were fire most of the week. And They sure were. The, his putting was atrocious, like really atrocious. So. Back to the kind of the old way that 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 Bubba goes. Um, and yeah. And, and like I said, I thought Cam Smith was a really good play. He had a really, really good weekend to get himself here into the tour championship for the second yeah. time in three years. So we'll chat about him in a little while. All right, let's go into uh, our uh, pro review here where we uh, review some of our favorite uh, pros in the industry. And, of course, why not start off with our favorite, Alex Austin Baker here. And this week he fell into the Tiger Woods trap as I did as the top-owned golfer, so he probably wasn't thrilled about that. No surprise to see Justin Thomas, Pat Cantlay, Tony Finau, Adam Scott as uh, some of his higher own plays. He cannot kick the Jason Day habit. Hopefully it doesn't turn into a Jordan Spieth habit uh, for him there. Um, Matt Kuchar, so he fell into that trap as I did. And then he had the top end of the board pretty well. McElroy, Masuyama over 20%. Shaw played near 20%. Uh, John Rahm only 13. So maybe he found that the uh, optimal lineups uh, with him crunching in there. Just couldn't get enough Brendan Todd. Didn't believe in Brendan Todd's putting or uh, or maybe uh, even Lanto Griffin's resurgence. And uh, Sal, who's uh, off today, I know he would be loving to talk about Lanto Griffin uh, for sure. I'm a big fan of his as well. Uh, for my own self, I fell into the camp champ uh, for the second straight week. I also had Justin Thomas. And this is uh, my allocations for the $7 on FanDuel. Uh, so I even got John Rahm at 20% and DJ in at 20%, but, uh, with only one other guy in the top 10, my results were terrible. Um, and, and basically all my deteriorary players, you know, like Kucher, like champ, you know, those needed to be Joaquin Neiman and such. So it wasn't a uh, great week there. I'll run through the other two quickly and then kind of get your just overall feeling. Um, also, oh yeah, we got top lineup. Alex came in 625th in the half milli. It came in 163rd as my top lineup in the uh, $9 on FanDuel or $7, whatever it was. Uh, for Brick 75, here's where I, w- I was really interested. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to look up where they came in the Millie Maker because, or half Millie Maker, because these allocations were great. On uh, For Brick 75, he had John Rom 50%, Thomas 40, DJ 28, Poston 22, DeChambeau 20, Fratelli 18, Connors 18, Woods 18, Munoz 17, and McElroy 16. Came in 143rd. I would have thought better with 50% of the lineups having Rom and 28 having DJ, but that's what yeah. happens um, there. And then Petty Theft had uh, about half the ownership uh, at, up top, 27 on Finau, 25 Shaw play, 24 Cantlay, Thomas, uh, and the like, and had John Rom at 17% and came in 162nd. So um, although a lot of Rom for both of those guys, nobody really, nobody cracked that top 100. Uh, yeah. A lot of the chalk hitting, right? That's what it probably attributed to. That and and I mean they they just no like no Brandon Todd. Um, uh, I can't remember the other like Neiman, right? Like I don't see yeah, any no Neiman, Neiman, right? So yep. if it had him, it was really just like a small amount. It wasn't super overweight. And 
Those were kind of the keys this week. Um, you know, like we said, the, the chalk kind of went off. So, I mean, most people had exposure, but if you didn't mix in those plays, um, yeah, your upside was capped as, as pretty much evidenced by both these guys. I mean, they had pretty good allocations, especially like ROM 50%. Yeah, that sucks. I mean, when you go like over double the field on ROM and, and you can't crack it in the no field event, that, that kind of hurts. But again, that is, uh, that's the other factor of these, uh, these WGC events. I mean, um, it's not just about picking the winner. That's like the, obviously the first thing you have to do, but then like those lone guys, like, uh, you know, when Tom Lewis came in like second at the WGC Memphis or, or this week it was, it was kind of like Todd or Neiman. I mean, yep. you've got to be able to, to get a, a, enough exposure and get them a, a little bit, uh, you know, exposure in the right lineups. So um, didn't quite happen, but I mean, these are solid allocations. Absolutely. I like going overweight on ROM Finau. So nothing, nothing too shocking there. Yeah, it, it, it made sense. I really was shocked. I thought he would be in the top 100. Honest yeah. to God, uh, I really thought he would. I but mean, with that allocation, I can report at least. Justin Thomas kind of hurts too. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thomas ended up coming, I think, in the top 25 in scoring, but still obviously with right. DJ top on the board and, and not too much coming in second. It's a, it's a big difference. I will say, looks like um, I didn't add up the total dollars one, but it looks like Brick 75 did pull a profit with the amount of cashes, uh, number of cashes he had. So, um, at least reporting that. All right, let's uh, wrap it up then for last week. And uh, of course, if you uh, like the information we just provided, even helping you in making your GPP allocations each week, go ahead and give us a like. I know that we've got uh, you know some people in here now, so bump up those likes for me if you can. It's helping, of course, to keep the light on, and you know we always want to keep the light on here. So uh, moving on to this week, it is the Tour Championship, the last thirty golfers standing from the FedEx Cup. And what we're going to do uh, in this section here in a little bit, I'm going to have uh, in the last section, the graphic of salary to uh, uh, where they're starting. So that's a good segue. We're going to talk about first the handicap event. It's been a big topic in inside the golf Twitter circle this morning. And uh, Jeff, I've been pretty adamant about this for two years now. I like the way that this is. It gives me one winner and I don't have to deal with seeing Justin Rose take a picture next to Tiger Woods after the tour championship. I don't want that anymore. I just want to look at one guy taking the picture. This is the way to do it. Um, yeah. Your opinion on this, uh, is, is it okay? Would you rather see something different or would you rather just not see it at all? I mean, I don't know. I, it's, it's, weird. it's, it's a part of me is like, you know, I agree. Like let's have one winner. Uh, let's let someone like, uh, really like win both events, but I don't know. I mean, I really feel the, the part of this I don't like is it, I, it really cuts out like at least 50% of the field from having a legitimate shot at winning. Um, you know, it's the playoffs. Everybody like, it's such a big deal to get here. Let's get everyone involved in some way or the other, the guys starting out at even basically start the week with like no chance at winning. So it's really kind of like almost an eight, 10 person event. I know there's bonus money in play for those guys, but that doesn't really bring viewers I would rather see some kind of contest where we can get players involved, which is kind of why I like the other format where, you know, you could start from 30th if you won, you know, things are happening. It's always changing, but I agree. Like having the two winners is it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit confusing on its own. So I do appreciate the one winner aspect. I'm not like a huge fan. I, I admit of, of the staggered start. I just feel like it takes drama out for, for half the field. And, uh, you know, you got guys just playing for paychecks while the other, well, you got like five people going for the win, which I guess can still be really good. But I think over the long term, I'm not sure how much excitement this format's going to create. Maybe I'll be wrong. 
I, I, I would still prefer it's the playoffs. Let's get some kind of match play involved for the tour championship. That, that's my hot take. Uh, it's been it for the last couple of years since they went to change. Even if it's like stroke play, then you reseed or something. It's the playoffs, right? Like it's just like the Stanley Cup or, or the NBA. I mean, let's have like an elimination. I mean, that's what match play is there. It's such a good, good format for golf. And uh, seeing two guys going heads up for $15 million, I think that would be awesome. Like, I really do. Um, so I don't know if the PGA will ever do that. Probably not. But um, this one's fine. I've always been kind of lukewarm about this event. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'll turn out way better this year. It'll, it'll change my mind. All right. So uh, a couple of notes on that. Uh, first, I love match play. I love playing match play. I love watching match play. It's a whole different game. One of the notes that the players had from their meeting when they changed this allocate or changed the actual way they do it um, was the fact that, you know, 92% or 95% of their tournaments that they play is done by stroke play. Okay. So if if you come into the playoffs, yeah, there's two events, right? The Barracuda, which not even, you know, not all real players play in, you know, they're playing in the WGC. And then of course the the actual WGC match play event, that's one too. Uh, The players are just starting 10 back, I guess. And, and again, I'm not a statistics major, but I guess the statistics show that they have a better chance of winning starting 10 strokes back than they did if uh, they sure. were doing it the other way. Yeah, just yeah. because in the other way, it's based on what other people do rather than what on they just do if they go out right. and, and win it. Um, right. uh, as far as starting, um, the people starting furthest back. So Rory started five back last year and he ended up winning. That's true. Just, um, which is interesting, just to note. The guy that made the biggest move, uh, just so in terms of how we know, and, and this is coming up in the last section, um, how far people can move up for Paul Casey started at minus two and came in tied for fifth, coming in at minus nine. So he ended up nine strokes back, still of Roy McElroy. But more Roy McElroy won both sides. If, if, if it was started at zero, McElroy won, and he won with the handicap as well. So it ended up working itself out. Last year, it'll be interesting to see this year if it doesn't work itself out. What the uh, what the people will say. Of course, if yep. you're in the betting markets, it's offered on both sides. But what I'm going to have pull up uh, on the screen here is the odds with the handicap uh, that we see from Odds Shopper in our background. If you haven't checked out Odds Shopper, it is awesome. It is a great tool to compare the odds throughout the industry. I think we have like at minimum uh, six or seven uh, sports books up at one time. So right up at the top, DJ's coming in at five and a half to one, which is, is no surprise. Obviously, with only 30 players in the field, we're not going to have our top 20 value segment. So apologize on that. There's not much value because most of the people uh, obviously are, are at, uh, are at uh, even just minus number because there's only, again, there's only 30 players yeah. in the field. So any first clicks for you, Jeff, before we get into kind of the strategy about who we think can move up the board? Yeah, so... Um my first click was Daniel Berger uh, at plus 2,800. Um, he's going to start at four under. Again, and Jason made a good point of this. I mean, the, the, the top two finishers last year were McElroy and, uh, and, and Xander Shoffley. They started at five under and four under. So there's no guarantee here. And, and again, we, we are getting a pretty big change in venue. Again, change in putting surface and stuff like that. I think it does favor a guy like Daniel Berger. So um, again, I'm talking about like the, that just who's going to win the tournament, you know, with the starting strokes uh, market, he was plus 2,800. I like that. I like the setup for Berger. I think he's an extremely motivated guy. I think he's going to come in here again. Uh, I think it's a place where he can, uh, you know, he's a strong par four scorer. And he, he can just be aggressive a little bit uh, from the get go. So I uh, really like the spot for him. And then from the other market where just playing with strokes, 
take out the FedEx Cup stuff. Everyone's starting from zero. You got that betting market. I hit up Brendan Todd and I hit up uh, Cam Smith again. Uh, I think it was 100 to one and like 66 to one. So awesome. Um, great notes there. Yeah, I know we got a couple of fans of that match play format uh, suggestion. And, li- and listen, I, I think it's great. I, I don't want to sound like I'm just like hell bent on let's do this. The fact of the matter is golf doesn't need to end for me. Uh, it's, it's because it's an individualized sport. I don't need to know that Dustin Johnson won the FedEx cup in 2014 or whatever it was. I just simply don't, I don't care. I want to know who won the majors. Uh, that, that's what I truly care about. That's the way golf has kind of always been brought in. You know, this is for, for recognition of, of FedEx and, and the sponsor. And I totally agree. Um, you know, so in, in the match play format, I, I think it'd be great. You just move it up to 32 players as, as Alex, uh, in our chat suggested, and it's a sim- it's an easy bracket. It's a perfect bracket. And it seems so simple to do, um, but I'm going to guess that either FedEx or the players uh, voted no for that. Um, no, for one sure. of the two. Uh, yeah, yeah. What, what, Because I'm sure it was brought up, right? I think the the best thing might be to do like a mix where you like do a stroke play for two days. You still have to give an advantage to those top eight players. I I, yeah. I don't want to. I don't think you should just like just be like oh, okay, everyone's it's a free for all now because I think that would be a little ridiculous too. But Maybe someday they'll do some kind of, I know the Euro tour is good at, at making those like mixed events now. So maybe they'll uh, eventually mix that in. I just think that it's the playoffs. You want to make it unique from a major bring in match play. Cause that it's going to be like one of the only big events with match play. Right. So that's my idea. Um, I definitely understand the reasons why I was probably voted against So Yep. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's go on and uh, pull up uh our graphic, Jordan, of uh, where everybody's starting this week and the correlation uh, to DraftKings points. Uh, I think we can kind of be, and of course, within bets there, we can uh, give our a couple of those as well. But at least, um, actually, uh, while, while you put that on the screen, Jordan, I'm going to tell everyone about East Lake. I forgot to mention about the golf course really quick. It is another par 70, roughly 7,300 yards. Uh, but Jeff, this week is half the rough length of only two and a half inches. So we're going to see about, 64% of the greens, still only 55% of the fairways. Um, yeah. Were you interested to see that the irons don't matter much towards the winners here? I mean, what do you think that's all about? It is interesting. Um, the, the the fairways are a little bit harder to hit here. So guys like Rory, who are just kind of beast-moding it off the tee, have done pretty well. But, um, yeah, Eastlake, is, it's just a tricky venue, it feels like. So, as far as why the strokes can approach here doesn't matter as much. I'm not really sure, to be honest. Um, it, it just might be an event where, you know, the, the greens are a little bit harder to hit for everyone. People are missing fairways and it just comes down to uh, a little bit more, uh, you know, who, who can, who can excel a little bit more around the greens. Um, I, I, I do know that this, like, it's not going to play like last week, but it's still a tougher course. I mean, the winners here generally between like eight under and 13 under par, um, you know, faster Bermuda greens, and stuff like that, kind of, uh, you know, just with the time of season that it's played at. So I'm not sure why, why strokes gain approach w- would take a little bit of a dip here. But, um, you know, it's, it's not like a traditional Pete Dye course. It is a Donald Ross design. So a little bit a little bit wider greens, I guess you could say, a little bit longer. And I just feel like it's probably just a case of most people just having a little bit of trouble and uh, comes down more to who's just you know, beast moding, putting themselves in good place off the tee and, and really excelling around the greens. So that's my take on it. But uh, it is kind of um, its own like little unique design because um, there, there, aren't, there aren't too many other. I know this, this used to end with like a par three too, didn't it? Yeah. And they switched it to a par five. Par five. Yeah. yeah like a long kind of increase so. that. Yeah. Uh, both, both reachable. So 
when, when we're comparing again, the last couple of weeks, we saw Harding Park, a par 70, 7,300 yards. So it's kind of the third par 70, 7,300 yards we saw. And the thing about this one is the both par fives are definitely reachable. Even the 18th is, is a little long, maybe by a couple of golfers in the field, they won't get to 18, but for the most part, they will. Um, the other thing that what, what we were mentioning, the last five winners have failed to gain one stroke on their approaches per average on the round, which is just, yeah. you, you don't see that at all. And I think that really lends credence to a lot more drivers being hit and just taking, just basically taking the approach game for the most part out of it um, or out, out of it as much as you can, right? You're always going to hit an approach into almost every single green. Um, so uh, there's, there's something to be said there. Uh, Got to have every part of your game kind of on track. So speaking of getting every part of your game on track, fantasy football season started. Let me tell you, last night I had my first draft and I felt lost for the first 20 minutes of what was going on. Just like these names that I hadn't heard of. Then I loaded up the fantasy football draft kit and I'm like, oh, I'm glad I did that. This, this made me a little easier. I got some guys that I had never heard of before because I've been, you know, we've been going crazy. We haven't stopped, uh, really since the since the restart 12 weeks ago jeff right yeah no for sure so, um i haven't had one second to look uh, at anything but the fantasy football draft game saved me and got a promo code if you have not checked it out i know it's draft season and best balls are becoming the new thing with obviously draft going away draft kings stepped up to the plate offering a million dollars to first for a 20 dollar buy in 3 dollars buy in for 50k to first and the draft kit is really specific to this best ball format. So use promo code Roger and here it is. Football is almost here and we have a great deal for you. Sign up today for Osmo Plus NFL annual pass for 30% off when using promo code Roger at checkout. This is going to give you access to all of Osmo's leading up player projections, ownership projections, premium content, and more NFL DFS. But wait, there's more. We here at Osmo are excited to bring you our inaugural season season-long fantasy football and best ball draft kit, which I was just talking about. And you get this free with your NFL annual pass. So using the same tools that have helped Alex Osmo Baker be the number one daily fantasy source player in the world, we have compiled a package that will revolutionize the way you prepare for fantasy football drafts. The kit includes everything you need to help prep for rankings, projections, loads of content from the experts, and the draft wingman, which will update your rankings in real time. That means when Leonard Fournette gets cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars this morning, they are going to update how that's going to help all of your Rockwell Armstead. I think I said that correctly, Jeff. You can correct me. I think me. you did, actually. Yeah, did I get that right? Nice. I, he's going to go up, obviously. Um, and listen, as an added bonus, new members of the FFPC, your home for pay to play season-long fantasy football leagues and contests, get a $35 credit when you sign up for the Osmo Draft Kit. This limited time offer is through today. It's going to get you 365 days worth of the Osmo Plus NFL and draft kick a $280 value for just $175. Sign up today by clicking the Osmo Plus tab on the Osmo Plus homepage. So, like I said, that draft kit really clutched in helping me out last night. Pretty high dollar buy-in, like $250 buy-in. So I'm going to give Alex and the guys a tip when I well, win. I mean, getting a $35 credit with it is... It's a good deal. Like it, it, on top it, of it too. It's a good kit on its own, but like getting the thirty-five dollar credit. I mean, that's it's pretty. Strange. I love it. You gotta love it. All right, let's talk about uh, Dustin Johnson. Fifteen thousand two hundred. Uh, so they yeah. did the same exact thing last year, the second week, uh, second year in a row, where they say, okay, yep, he's gonna start at minus ten, and we're gonna give fifteen thousand two hundred. Which means on third Friday morning, it's a Friday start here, which is kind of weird. 
Um, Friday started here this week because of Labor Day. Normally this week is actually, if I'm not mistaken, the TPC Boston event, Northern Trust, because normally TPC Boston ended up. Yeah, that's uh, the one that used to fall on the Labor Day. Oh, actually, yeah. didn't, uh, even without the COVID, didn't they change the schedule to end in August though? Yes, they did. They moved yeah. everything, everything off, right. and then the COVID moved it a couple weeks back. Previous, yeah, previously used to be always the, the Dell Championship, the TPC yeah. Boston would host the Labor Day one, right? Yep. Right. Now, now, sadly, we're not. But it's a Friday start, Monday finish here. Um, 15,200 for Dustin Johnson. Talk about that for a second because yeah. they only go down to 5,000. It's not like they're going down to 4,000 to make that differential the same. Yeah, it's and uh, exactly. I mean, oh, and the that. finishing points will be shown on Friday morning. That's what I was saying. Sorry. Yeah. The finishing so, points will show up on on Friday morning as Dustin Johnson being in first place. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the you, you, you're paying up for Dustin Johnson, but you're paying for the, the finishing points that you're going to get with him starting in first place. Right. Obviously. So that's a big factor of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you kind of have to remember what what it was like making lineups with him. I mean, uh, you can't. I mean, you, you've really got to load up on guys like, you know, two under or worse. So um, t- taking a bit of a risk, you know, that uh, that Dustin Johnson is, is going to win this thing and possibly you might need him to win by a couple strokes, in my opinion, um, but for this to really pay off. And, and you'll definitely have to hit the players who make big moves. I, I mean, I don't think that you need to avoid Dustin Johnson altogether, but I think there's a pretty good argument for going underweight on him versus, um, you know, making more balanced approaches. So I'm not sure what your take on it is. I know last year, obviously, we had two players in the four and five under range when, you know, right now guys like that starting at 10K, 10-4 with Morikawa and going down, um, you know, it just it makes it way easier to take advantage. You don't have to necessarily dip and take like two guys in the 5K range who might not be starting that high. But there are uh, there are certain value plays out there that, that, that are really going to make Dustin at least playable um, Munoz is one. I think he's starting at 300. He's like 5,900. Todd is, is pretty cheap for where he's starting as well. So, um, yeah, just a, just a different format. I will say this as far as the, I'm not, I'm not necessarily hundred percent sold in the tour championship for it, but I do kind of like it from a DFS standpoint, just cause it's so unique. You, you know, we get to do this once a year and it's different. So. Yeah. We, we always like different and there's definitely a different angle to it. it. There's also maybe a little bit of a different angle to it from the golfers perspective. We saw Justin Thomas talk about this a lot. He's like, Man, I had to sleep on a lead on Wednesday night, and I, he's like, I don't know that it affected me, but I knew consciously that I had a two-shot lead going in. Yeah. He's like, maybe that made me play differently. Maybe I didn't play as aggressive because, he, you know, I already knew I had the lead. Um, definitely interesting there. So here's what I'll say. Of the 30 golfers, I wouldn't throw anybody out of the field, out of my player pool, except for Mark Leishman because he is playing yeah. so badly and he has bad results at this course. So it's it, pretty easy there. Um, but I don't know that I'd throw anybody else out because we look at somebody like Bryson DeChambeau. He started at even par last year, ended up finishing at minus four, which was good for a tie for 12. Well, he likely had enough DFS points where rostering him at even par was probably very beneficial to you, um, even with 30 players in it. So I don't think I'm going to throw anybody out. Is there mm-hmm. anybody besides Mark Leishman that you would throw out of the player pool at this point? Yeah, good good question. Um, I know what I was going through. I mean, obviously Leishman popped up. I think I think where I would might consider to start to throw someone off is not necessarily it's not necessarily like a recent form thing. Obviously, that is in play with Leishman. He's he's probably the only one I would kind of nix on that. But you look at a guy like Hovland starting at Evelyn, 
He's 6,600 versus everyone else at that range is way, way cheaper. Yep. Um, maybe you do that just to be unique, but like that is, especially when you're trying to get exposure to a guy like DJ, I, I, I would be okay being underweight on a couple players like that. I know we had a couple instances like that last year. I think Ricky was at a weird, weirdly, weirdly high salary. Yep. So you really have to watch out who you're paying up for. I mentioned Todd and uh, Munoz in that, um, I think a three under range, but you know, you have um, Shoffley and Reed at like 85 and 8,900. And I'm not saying you need to cross them off. Shoffley has been incredible at this format. Um, yep. And even Rory at minus three. You know, Rory is interesting, actually. Maybe we should talk about him because he yeah. is easily the most expensive player in that range by $800. And he's talking about like perhaps not playing this event because his kid is on the way. Um, that shows you where his mind is at. He did play better last week, though, which also is a factor. And he's got a great course history. So, um, going to be a very like polarizing play. He's expensive. He's not value in that range. Actually, he's the ex- exact opposite. opposite yeah. Um, and uh, and now you got this baby thing he's talking about. So I don't know. I mean, well, it was weird to me. It's like if when Ilan Nordgren was pregnant with Tiger Woods' kid, you knew it. We it, she's almost giving birth, and we had n- <laughs> nobody in the golfing world had any clue that this girl was pregnant. Not is it yeah. our business to know. No. I just think typically with a, a profile, a, a stature profile of Rory McIlroy, typically we know that uh, he his wife is pregnant. Now, is that the reason that he's been focused on on home? I mean, I know that, and Jeff, I know you're a dad. Of course, leading up to the, the birth of my child, I was a nervous wreck. Don't get me sure. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that affecting Rory McIlroy's golf? I would say that probably no fans there to motivate him is probably a more contributing factor to that. But – the fact that he said he would definitely withdraw in the middle of a tournament, even if he was winning for $10 million to go see the birth of his kid. I mean, it has to be taken into consideration, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And like I said, I mean, um, you know, people are going to look, he played better, this course history. So, but man, I mean, um, it, it really kind of, it kind of comes into focus. I mean, you know, and maybe it's a COVID thing is, is why we're not hearing about it. It just wasn't, you know, talked about more, but um Regardless, it, it's out there now, and and um, you really sort of have to start to think about it. So, Roy probably would have been a player I would have just faded anyways because, yep. again, ninety seven hundred uh, in that range makes him like ridiculously overpriced. Um, he's barely even cheaper than than Bryson, who else is also like you know at ten one and and four under. Um, someone kind of uh, you have to pay up for, but I would probably rather pay up for Bryson at this point than Rory. So. Um, it's a really interesting situation. I'm really interested to see what the ownership projections are on later in the week. If everyone is just going to get off them or if people are just going to be like, oh, no, you know, it's Rory. We'll, we'll play him. But um, I think it's probably going to set up as a good fade spot. So uh, I know this is probably a, a little bit of a different question, but um, of the guys. So I, as I mentioned, we, we had a minus four guy, uh, minus five guy win and a minus four guy come pretty close. Yep. Give me your best chance at minus four and below to come in the top three this week. So, yeah, it, it, it's going to be Berger for me. Um, okay. I, I really like I really like the way Daniel Berger has been just just going at it. Just not, you know, just like I said last week, uh, playing with a chip on his shoulder. And um, I, you know, he, his his approach has dipped a little bit last week, but I think this course is is better set for him. Uh, he's played here a couple times. Again, switch to Bermuda 15. Greens. I think I think that's a big benefit 
for Daniel Berger, you look at his wins, TPC Southwind, Colonial, par 70, he's a great par four scorer. I think this course, you know, a little less rough. Um, he's been killing it off the tee as well. He's a player who can gain like, you know, three or four strokes off the tee with the way he's been playing. I think he's going to make a run. I really do think he's going to make a run at this, uh, if Dustin, especially if Dustin comes out slow. So that is definitely my pick uh, to get himself into the mix. But, um, you know, Harris English could surprise too. He's, he's played some good golf, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him. And he got Bryce in there, but uh, I'll, I'll roll with my man Berger for one more week. Yeah, uh, a couple of 12s, or, or a couple of 15s and a 12 here in his, in his first three tries. Uh, missed it the last two years, but uh, good to see him back. Or maybe I shouldn't say that because I, I didn't really like him before this stretch of golf. But now <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm coming around to a little bit more Berger because he um, his game is looking more fine-tuned uh, than I, I still don't like his golf swing. I just think it's not as nice as Colin Morikawa's, but I'm just getting. I mean, it's definitely not as nice to look at. I I won't argue with you there. (laughs) You know, or Adam Scott, but now I'm really getting nitpicky. Um, All right, so let's talk about Webb Simpson for a second. He's the only guy that didn't play last week, saying, you know what, I'm I'm not going to deal with, you know, over par being the winning score possibly. I'm just going to go sit on my couch, rest my injured rib, and and just you know eat some chicken wings as the uh, as the telecast said a couple of times. I heard that line like six or seven times. Oh, Webb Simpson eating chicken wings and popcorn, watching these guys struggle. Anyways, um, does that make you want to play him more this week? He's coming in at eleven thousand. Um, uh, kind of still pricey for a guy that's still, even with this spread down to five thousand, he's still got to win or come close to it to really pay off. Yeah, Webb is Webb is interesting this week. I mean, he's he's had a couple top five finishes. Uh, he plays Donald Ross course as well. We know that from Sedgefield, so. I'd be pretty interested. I mean, I think that if I'm going to take the approach where maybe I'll top fade the top uh, couple guys and, and go with like a mixed bag, you know, I'll, I'll probably start some lineups with Webb Simpson. I mean, I think I'm still interested in Bryson as well for similar reasons, but um, yeah, Webb is definitely going to be in the mix. I mean, Morikawa is, is a player. I mean, you worry a little bit about uh, just just the hangover and, and just, you know, if he's just maybe just a little bit burned out at this point, he won his first major. Uh, he's kind of slept walked through the last couple of events. And I know it's a true championship and the guy has turned it on off a of missed cut. So I'm not putting past him doing it, but it really does kind of lend itself to, you know, Webb Simpson seems like the safer choice. Um, he's, he's a great putter on Bermuda as well. I would, I would definitely lean that way. Uh, I, I really want to see some ownership projections. If, if Webb is going to get up and just be insanely chalky, though, you know, that, that could definitely be a factor. But uh, for right now, I think with, with Justin Thomas and more cows surrounding him, I don't think that'll be the case. I think some people might be put off, too, by the, the resting. But I can't see that necessarily being a bad thing. Um, it's a big stretch yeah. of golf. A lot of these guys have been playing, like, eight, not eight of nine weeks and stuff like that. I think it's probably beneficial. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tough four days, too, because – you know, you're in the lead, you're always chasing or you're always defending, you know, you, you got to defend a lead right off the bat if you're DJ. So I like it. I, I like Webb Simpson this week. Uh, I think he's, he's kind of like Berger. He's just been playing with a chip on his shoulder the last couple of years. Uh, he's trying to get back to, to a spot. He was, uh, you know, to be one of the most elite players in the world. He's achieved that, but you know, winning uh, another big event like this would be kind of uh, to cap it off. So. Yeah, for sure. And 10 million to go along with it wouldn't be a bad consolation prize. That's for sure. Um, couple of other guys that had questions on it. Uh, but before I get to that, let's just Samuel from our chat has a question uh, for both of us. Uh, as a ball striker, does it matter to weight more the approach than off the tee? And it's, it's a really good question. Um, but I, I think for this week, 
my answer would be no because of looking at the winners here. Uh, it it really having a heavy emphasis on their off the tee. So I think it's more of a course specific question for me. I hate to beat around it, Sam, um, and not answer your question, but for me, it's course specific. So for this week, I would be looking more at at off the tee. Uh, then uh, approach. I hope I understood this uh, question correctly, Jeff, but do you have a similar yeah, answer? No. Or? Yeah, pretty much similar. It's definitely a week to week thing. Uh, when you're looking at ball striking numbers for me, um, I, you know, if, if I'm uh, crunching something or, or, or putting up, uh, trying to come up with a model, then it's, it's definitely just a, a, a course, the course thing y'all I'm always looking at those numbers for sure. And what people are doing in those, those categories. But uh, you know, for this week, it definitely could be a week where maybe you wait, um, off the tee a, a little bit more. I mean, I rarely like take down approaches too much, but it is kind of strange. Some of the numbers that have come from this course over the last little bit, driving distance is way up, um, you know, just versus like a tour average. I think it was almost 10 yards more the field average. And maybe that's just, a, again, where it's an elite field, you know, the elite players tend to drive it further anyways. Right. So maybe yeah. it's of course a, a factor of that, but um yeah, definitely, you know, we should be waiting both each week, but uh, course to course, you try and do your best and, and look at what uh, what the trends have been, and you can definitely tweak it from there. All right, so uh, we've got maybe two, maybe maybe 60 seconds left somewhere in that range. So with that, let's give our top play under $6,000 this week. I know that's really weird to say, but that's why I chose it. So I think we got maybe 10 golfers or so. I have a feeling you're going to say Cameron Smith, and I think I'm along the line there with you, but I do have one other guy that I like a lot. I'll go with Cam Smith. Um, yeah, I will. I mean, um, his, uh, the thing about Cam, too, is against strokes, he wasn't, like, great with his approaches last week, but he has gained strokes now in three straight events. His around-the-green game has finally started to come back. Dude is, is a wizard around the greens, and he looks way sharper there. Um, the putter hasn't heated up yet either, which is which is good because yeah, – It will. It will. It will eventually. He can be a really good putter. Uh, he can definitely, he's a little bit streaky with it, sure, but um, definitely like a high-end putter when he's on. So um, I, I think, again, he, he's, he's played himself in here. He's got to be coming in with a little bit of confidence. Um, I, I think he just can be freewheeling there. And there's, like I said, there's a lot of bonus money up here for these guys. He plays himself into a top 10. It's like an extra mil or whatever. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to roll with him one more week. I, I really like the setup. I like the way he's just progressed. I think he, he might be peaking for this week. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't uh, disagree. And, and I think uh, for those of you that are just uh, joining us or came in a little late, you know, go ahead and hit that like button for us. And yeah, especially, like that, that. Let's go. especially after that take of Cameron Smith, right? I mean, I, I listen, I'm behind it as well. He's going to be in some of my lineups. And another guy that's definitely going to be in some lineups, and I'm, I guess I'm looking more at the course fit than anything else, is Lanto Griffin, 5,900 for this guy, minus two. Said back-to-back good starts on these par 70, 7,300-yard courses at Harding Park and uh, last week at Olympia Fields. So if it does play a little tougher, I like Lanto Griffin. Um, if uh, if not, do I like Hughes as a sleeper? I think I would like Hughes um, regardless. He's probably that third guy below 6,000 that I'm going to make part of my lineups. I think that he's um, he, he probably relies least on his approach play out of all of these guys. He's that Canadian speed kind of. Uh, and I like that for this course. Speed is a winner here in 2015 without, I think he even lost strokes on the approach in 1521. So um, uh, the last question we have, it looks like from Mikey, looks like any love for Tony Finau. Um, I like him. Uh, I don't know if I love him. Jeff, how about you? Yeah, definitely came through for me last week. Um, 
probably don't like this setup as much uh, for him. Off the tee, he's actually been a little bit sketchy too lately. Um, he, he's been, he was kind of really dialed in with his approaches late at, uh, at last week. And I just feel like, you know, with the rough not being as up as much, this isn't going to be as much of a, of a U.S. Open course. If he's going to get chalky, which he probably will because he's coming off a good week, um, I think he, he might set up as a, as a slight fade candidate for me, or at least he'll be underweight. Um, and he, realistically too, and I think in that two under range, that's where you really want to go after the cheaper players. Um and just take advantage of, of more value plays. So probably not, I'm, I'm probably going to get off him this week. At least uh, I won't be like as overweight on him as I was last week. Yeah. And, and listen, if, if Tony Finau ends up winning, winning this tournament, starting eight strokes back. Um, shout yeah. out to Tony Finau, man. Yeah. That's, that'd be impressive. Especially with shout out to Finau. Like Superman. So I guess that's the only thing maybe I would say is if you want to bet, the fact that Tony Finau is starting eight back and has to make up a ton of strokes and he's going to play super aggressive because of that. You could go to that alternative market of winning, you know, uh, to win the tournament without the handicap. Maybe he's a good bet there because he's got to make up so many strokes. Um, maybe that's the way I'd play that, but uh, I like, I like your call there. So, all right, well, that's going to do it for us. Of course, if you want more of the full PGA DFS breakdown, check out the show with Ben Raza and Timothy Frank tomorrow at around two 30. Then I'll be on the airwaves uh, with Ben Raza on Wednesday this week. Uh, we were going to move it back, but I'm heading on a little bit of a road trip here at the end of the week. So you're going to have Ben next week. Jeff, you're going to get to talk about the Safeway Open with Ben Raza. I'm on vacay just for the next week. Uh, any parting words for the guests here uh, for this week? Oh, man. I can't believe I have to put up with Ben. Kinda. I know. You're going to have to deal with Ben. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, uh, just uh, thanks for joining us. It's been a great season. Obviously, we're taking no breaks, so that's good to no hear. But, um, yeah, definitely make sure when you're when you're doing lineups this, this week, make sure you check in. Um, it, it is a little confusing, the format. So double check. Read up on, on the articles on awesome.com. They'll, they'll set you straight. Go use all those tools if you haven't. Uh, check out my article, The Approach. It'll be up there. And uh, have a fun week. This, this is a, a, lot, a, a contest where, you know, you, there's lots of different ways to be unique. So you can pay up for guys that will be loaned. You can, you can do like stars and scrubs. So, uh, and and your free article is, is we're pushing it back. It's going to be the last article out. So it's going to have the, the right. most updated yep. information. That's going to come out on uh, Thursday night, correct? Or Thursday. But, oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, because the tournament starts Friday. Good call. Yeah. So take a look uh, for that. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining. And we will see you on the other side. Cheers.